Thanks for joining us for the Connect Podcast. I'm Cole Phillips, the lead pastor of the Connection Church, and every week we're going to look into the Bible to find out how God's Word connects to our everyday lives. It's going to be life-changing. The Connect Podcast is produced every week for your growth and inspiration. You can find all the show notes at makingtheconnection.org. You can also find the podcast on your favorite podcasting service, Follow me on Twitter at Cole Phillips and on Facebook and Instagram. You'll find all the links in the show notes. Now, let's get into the study. All right, I'm so glad that you're here with me today, and we are going to be getting into God's Word so that we can get God's Word into our life, so we can get it out of our lives into the world around us. Today is going to be especially powerful because we're looking at this passage in Acts chapter 9. We're, we're looking at uh, this passage is verses 32 through 35, and it's all about the healing power of Jesus. And it raises the question for us, you know, everybody wants to know, can Jesus still heal today? We see that he did it in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, when he, when he had his earthly ministry. And then, of course, that was carried on through the New Testament with the work of his followers, the disciples. And, um, and so we want to know, can he still do it? And uh, as we pray in faith, we're going to see the power of God to bring healing into lives, not just, not just physically, but also spiritually, spiritual healing. So um, let's get into it right now in uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 32. I'll just read this uh, five verses. Well, actually, it's uh, four verses. Let's read this together. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. And, and what we see here as we get into this is the idea that God uses a person. God used, worked through a disciple who was completely committed uh, to Jesus' mission. And uh, we see what Peter was doing here. It says that he was traveling around the countryside. And uh, we know that Peter was the one who was given this assignment by Jesus to go and to tell all of God's people, the Jewish people specifically, about the good news of who Jesus is and what he can do. And so he was especially sent. And at this point, what happened, what had happened in the previous chapters, you know, the Jewish people were scattered out because of the persecution that they were experiencing. Um, so Peter went out all over the place to um, encourage Christians and to tell those who weren't yet Christians about Jesus and what he could do, anybody who would listen to him. And uh, so he was going, he was on the move. And 
You know, that's what Jesus said in uh, Mark 16, 15. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So Jesus said, go. And really that go means as you are going, as you are going about your daily life. Uh, That means this. It means don't hide out in your hidey hole. Don't uh, insulate and isolate yourself. Don't avoid people. We've gotten really good today at, you know, hiding um, from people and avoiding interacting with them. Jesus doesn't give us that that option. He says, go to them, find them, look for them in the places that you're going. And we go all the time. We're on the go. We, uh, you know, thank God we have great uh, transportation. If you don't have a car, you've got a bicycle, uh, you know, there's, there's uh, public transportation, all kinds of ways that we get from place to place. Going to the store, going to school, going to work, going to the gym, going on vacation, going out to eat, you know, all of these places that we go, we're interacting with different people. Some people we know, some people we don't know, some people who are already believers, and some people who, uh, you know, God sees them, God knows them, He loves them, He wants them to be part of His forever family. He wants them to be forgiven and experience life. And He has sent you specifically to those places and orchestrated um, divine appointments for those moments. And so these are opportunities for us to live on mission. And notice what Peter did. You know, he was he was reaching out to people outside of the church, and he was also encouraging Christians. And that's what we need to do as well. That means we do this um, with our lives, the way that we live, the way that we dress, the, the places we go, the places we don't go, the words we say, but it means being intentional with our words that we're speaking up, we're encouraging with our words, Christians, but we're also speaking up and telling people about Jesus and and even inviting them to church. Maybe you don't feel super comfortable, you know, sharing your faith. I want to encourage you to do it. It's real simple and God's going to use you. And I, I like that about Peter. You know, Peter was far from perfect. Yes, he was chosen. He was called, but so are you. You're chosen, you're called, but Peter had a past. He had blown it in so many ways, and yet God still was able to use him, and God can use you. And, and, you know, it wasn't easy for Peter to be away from his home and to be away from his family. He was making a sacrifice. He left the comfort and the security of what was familiar behind him so that he could live on mission. He could live intentionally and make a difference. And uh, so that was what Peter was doing. And God uses people in order to bring healing, spiritual healing and physical healing. But he also sent Peter to a specific place. He had prepared for Peter. It says that he went to the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. And uh, this Lord's people, the Lord's people is also another word that is used there is the word saints. And so these believers lived there in this place. Lydda was an important commercial city that was on the caravan route from Babylon, Babylon to Egypt. 
And uh, in the Old Testament, Lydda was called uh, Lod, and it was about 30 miles northwest of Jerusalem, 10 miles south of Joppa, in the plain of Sharon. We'll talk about Sharon in just a bit. But it was one of these cities that the exiles from the Babylonian captivity in the Old Testament came back to when they were set free. And this city had some Christians, some saints living there. And he called the believers saints. We think of saints as being, uh, maybe if you have a Catholic background, you think of the, the different saints where they have to have some kind of miracle. Let me tell you, being saved, that's a miracle of God. Uh, God working in your life. There's miracles all around you. And God calls you a saint. Uh, Ananias was the first person to call believers saints when he prayed in this chapter earlier in verse 13. But what does it mean to be a saint? It means to be set apart and separated for a specific purpose. This is the idea of sanctification in the life of believers. This word sanctification, it's a big Bible word, uh, but it's not that hard to wrap our minds around. And sanctification, the process of being set apart and being made holy in your life is a, um, is a three, well, it's not really three stages, but you can look at it in three ways and all are uh, happening in your life. The first way is what we would call positional sanctification. And what that means is at the very moment that you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you are changed right then. You're changed and God's Spirit takes hold of your life and changes you and begins His work of making you more and more like Jesus. Uh, but but it, it happens the, at the moment that you become a Christian. That's positional sanctification. That's you, okay? Set apart. Uh, and, you know, f- really in your actions and your life, you haven't even done anything yet. You haven't changed anything. But it's just how God sees you when He looks at you. He sees you through the cross. And He sees you as He sees Jesus. Okay? That that is given to you at that moment. But then, secondly, there's what's called progressive sanctification. And that happens. It starts when you become a Christian. But it's a process that, that God begins to do this work in your life and actually changes you, changes your mindset, changes your heart, changes your attitudes, your actions, and you become more and more like Jesus. In John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them, this sanctification, sanctify them by the truth, and your word is the truth. So as we get into God's word, God uses his word and his truth to bring change into our life as we learn what, how God thinks, and we begin to change our mindset to think what God thinks. And he, he tells us what's right and wrong. We begin to live that way. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, he says, um, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. It's a process that works from the inside out in your life. It's not just fixing you up on the outside and changing that. It, you're changed on the inside. And he goes on, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. He starts this work in you and it progresses throughout your life that you 
and and you you you've you got a part to play in this. You know, you cooperate with with God, and you choose to to allow Him to work in your life and to put His word into practice in your life. So you've got a part to play. You don't have any part to play, really. He saves you. That's not something you do, but you do have a part to play when it comes to um, you know working out what that salvation means in your life. And then there's a third part of sanctification. That's called eternal sanctification, which just means like after this life is over and you stand before Jesus, at that point, however far along you've come in your sanctification, you're made complete and whole, completely set apart for for God. He finishes the work that he started in you. Ephesians 5.27 says that he's going to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And so this is the this is the end result of the work of God in your life. Okay, so there's positional sanctification, progressive, and then there's eternal that goes on forever. All right. Now, it says here, he says that believers live in this, um, this city, in this area. And I want to just make the point that when believers live in an area and believers live in a city, just because of the fact that they are there, the city is better for it. The city is blessed. And um, when a city has a, uh, a church that is, that is operating in a healthy way, like we talked about last week, that, that is standing on the word of God, that is ministering and reaching um, people um, and you know, lifting that city up, this is a place where God is actively at work. And you know, people who aren't Christians, they may not even realize the benefit that, that they get from having God's people there in that area. But as God's spirit is living and in the hearts of believers, working through believers, then God's presence is even more um, clear there in that area. This brings um, a higher state of morality, a higher state of justice for what's right and wrong, um, ministry and concern and help and love and peace and joy. And, and all of these um, are, are byproducts of the, the, the church being in a city. The whole city is a better place. Uh, Proverbs 11.11 says, through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. And then in Proverbs 14.34, it says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. And so with our church at the Connection Church, we have a location in Buda. We have a location in San Marcos. And right now we are actively working to purchase some land here in Buda so that we can have a lasting legacy and and a place to call home. And we're actually working with the city for zoning and all of this. And, you know, it's important that we understand that this is for the betterment of the, the community and for the city. And we are here to serve the city and to make this a better place because we are bringing uh, God's uh, presence, his purpose, his plan uh, here at work in our city. All right. Now, um, in verse 33, look at this. 
So Peter, he goes, there he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. This sounds like a hopeless situation, but I got to tell you, there are no hopeless situations. There's some hopeless mindsets, um, but no situation is hopeless when you bring God into the middle of it and God's spirit into the middle of it. Peter found this man, Aeneas, he had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Can you imagine? Um, He was in a desperate situation. He was paralyzed. Uh, He was confined to his bed. He couldn't get up. He couldn't wash himself, dress himself, feed himself. He was totally dependent on others to help him. Um, Just imagine how hopeless this situation was, not only for him, but for the people who were taking care of him. His condition was uh, about as critical as you can imagine. And I'm sure the people who were trying to help him didn't see any hope, any way out uh, that he could ever recover, that he'd ever get any better or take care of himself. Uh, There was a helplessness and a hopelessness that had gripped them. There was no doctor who could bring any help or change into this situation. He was destined to be paralyzed for the rest of his life, and someone had to take care of him. So it seemed dark. It seemed hopeless. Maybe you're in a situation like that right now where you think, I don't see any way out. I don't see how there can be any hope for future, any light in this situation. Um, But Jesus, we're going to see what happens when Jesus is infused and brought into the middle of what seems to be a hopeless situation. In verse 34, Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. (laughs) So Peter, he said, Jesus Christ heals you. That was his prayer. That was uh, his declaration. And all we know about this man is his name. And we know his situation, Aeneas. He was just another person. Um, nothing necessarily special about him. In fact, he had probably been cast aside, forgotten by everyone else except for the people who had to take care of him. But he wasn't forgotten by God. God saw his situation. God knew it. He cared about it. He wanted to do something about it. And so he brought a believer, a committed believer into that situation. And God can use you to go into hopeless situations to bring life, to bring hope. Um, and notice this, that the, the man himself and Peter, this is, that's not the focus. The focus here is Jesus. Peter didn't say, I, by my power, am healing you. He didn't say, it's my faith, it's my act, my work. He said, Jesus Christ heals you. Jesus is the only one with the power to heal. He's the one with authority to heal. And um, I was thinking of the hymn, uh, this old hymn, it's, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. And in this hymn, it says, He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. And there's healing in uh, the the name of Jesus and through the power 
of Jesus. Um, in fact, the word for when it says Jesus Christ, when he says Jesus Christ heals you, that means to be healed immediately right in the moment, right then. Heals you. You are healed. It wasn't some drawn out process. It was com- a complete, total healing. And it means not only this word healing doesn't just mean that he was physically healed, but he was healed and made whole inside and outside, spiritually and physically. If he hadn't already been saved, then at that moment he was he w- he put his faith and his trust in Jesus in, in every way. And Peter just simply spoke over him the truth of God's word and his promise. It wasn't some magic words or some incantation or some special thing. He was just speaking the truth in faith because Jesus Christ is the one who heals and he makes people whole. But Peter also challenged him to um, to do something about it, to, to believe that this was true, to believe that he was healed, to believe the word of God. And he said to him, he said, get up and roll up your mat. So put it back on the man to say, you know, you've got to believe this in faith. Um, Peter didn't just declare God's word and, and bring healing to him and then walk away. He challenged him to do something about it. He assured him and encouraged him that he was healed. And true faith shows itself in action. Real faith, we think of faith as just what we think or what we believe, but it's more than that. It, 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 it's what we do, what we put into practice in our lives. And he told him to do something very simple. He said, roll up your mat, or in other words, make up your bed. You know, just a simple act. Um, make your bed. Uh, and the man had to believe that it was Jesus who had healed him. And if he did believe it, he would get up. And if he didn't believe it, he'd just lay there, continue to lay there as if he wasn't healed. So, you know, Jesus, he does heal. He does make people whole. And yet we know that some people are healed and other people are not. Other, even people, um, you know, who have great faith, they're not healed and even when Jesus uh, was on earth during his earthly ministry, you know, some people were healed. He didn't heal every single person on the earth at that time. He just healed some. And so it raises this question, why are some people healed and other people aren't? There are even people who have more faith or they walk more closely with God, um, but they're not healed. So why is it that God heals some and he doesn't heal others? Well, there's four reasons I want to quickly hit. The first one is because of God's glory. Um, The question that God considers in healing is what is going to bring God the most glory to his name? Is it healing or is that someone remain in this, the situation that they're in? He also considers our good, not only our physical good, but also our spiritual good. What is it that we're going to learn? Are we going to learn um, endurance, uh, going the distance? Are we going to learn self-control? Are we going to learn trust, leaning more uh, on Jesus and dependence on Him? And the question for our good is not only 
for our good spiritually, what's going to strengthen us more, which way is going to grow our faith and trust, but also spiritually for others. How does God want to use us to show faith to others? Maybe he wants us to um, spend more time in prayer and, um, and our condition would allow us or lead us to do that or just to show someone else the power and the strength of your faith that you can endure any situation uh, through Christ. And so um, the question is, what do the people need that God wants, who God wants to use us in their lives? What, what is their need? There's also God's wisdom. And we have to understand that God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are higher than our ways. There's more than we can understand. In our wisdom, we say, oh, I know what what should happen in this situation. But God is wiser. God knows when it's needed, who needs it, why it's needed, the whole thing. But there's also God's mercy. More than anything, God wants us to know his mercy. And he's going to do whatever it takes to show his mercy to us, and sometimes that means walking through the trials of life because his mercy is bigger that way, and sometimes he removes the trials because it reveals his mercy more. But he gets to choose what's best in our situation. We pray, Your will be done. And, um, you know, Jesus does heal every Christian who needs to be healed. Um, and that person is blessed by God and healed, but Our need for healing is not always our greatest need. God sometimes uses our physical need to meet a much deeper need, which is a spiritual need. And uh, uh, it's a need for God's glory. It's for our good. So every believer is not always healed. Sometimes we need to grow. Sometimes we need to learn joy and peace and endurance and hope. And there is a um, story of... Uh, a young woman who's now a much older woman uh, named Johnny who experienced this throughout her life and God has used her in a great way. I want you to see this video. I want us to watch this together right now. Check this out. It began back in 1967. I was 17 athletic. One summer day I went swimming in the bay with my sister, took a reckless dive into shallow water. I knew then my life had changed forever. My doctor said, Johnny, you're going to be paralyzed for the rest of your life without use of your hands, your legs. I knew I couldn't end my life physically, so I was tempted to end my life emotionally, mentally, spiritually. I wanted to just lay in bed, tell my mother to turn off the lights and shut the door. In the dark behind that closed door, I, I cried out, God, if I can't die, then show me how to live. God put Christian friends in my life who opened the Bible and showed me that God permits what he hates to accomplish that which he loves. And eventually I wheeled out of that dark bedroom and began to embrace life. I discovered there's a world of other disabled people in dark bedrooms who, like me, need to embrace life and know God. I started writing about this and speaking, and before I knew it, my message gave birth to Johnny and Friends. Johnny and Friends is a place where we share God's hope through every hardship. Johnny and Friends is the heart, the hands, and the feet of Jesus Christ to people who are desperately hurting and need His help. Special needs families, these quickly became the friends of Johnny and Friends. And little did I realize that it would quickly become the ministry that it is today globally 
Yes, we give the wheelchair by all means, but it's an entree, it's a toe in the door so that we can then share the good news of Jesus and back it up with a Bible in their own language. That is so important. It's just critical that these families are connected with caring evangelical pastors in their villages and towns so that they can be embraced by the body of Christ and know that there is hope beyond their suffering. That's the whole point behind Family Retreat, that they find the hope of Jesus Christ that can sustain them the 51 weeks until another Family Retreat next summer. And at Johnny's house, well, these international disability centers are providing complete Christ-centered care year-round to the families who need it most. Whether at our headquarters in Southern California, our area ministry teams around the country, or our network of partners and volunteers all across the globe, our passion is to see people and special needs families embrace Christ, embrace the circumstances that God puts them in, and embrace life. And so, until the whole world hears and the whole world moves, until His house is full, let's get going. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that God used what seemed to be a tragedy in one person's life, a terrible tragedy, to impact people around the world and draw so many people to Jesus? We see that God can even use our suffering and uh, the things that, that we experience, even being paralyzed, to bring glory to his name. But look at the result that takes place in verse 35, because um, all of Lydda became Christians, turned to the Lord, and everyone in the valley of Sharon and everybody who saw this healed man. Verse 35, all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now, Sharon wasn't a city. It was like a, a, a coastal plain between the Central Mountains and the Mediterranean Sea. And there were many cities there. There were Lydda, Joppa, Caesarea, Dor, Antipatris. Um, it was so fertile that, that the, the um, beauty of this area was almost like proverbial. And it's a symbol. It was even used in the Bible as a symbol of heaven of a new heaven uh, that that God you know promises to to create the heaven heaven and earth and so this area it wasn't just a city it was a whole area uh, that saw the power of Jesus in this man's life and it moved them to turn to Jesus nothing influences people more than the power of Jesus, seeing the power of Jesus at work in an individual life. That is Christ working in you, his rule, his reign, his presence, his power. And when people see it, they see the change, that process of growth in your life and God doing something miraculous in your life, that touches people and it leads people to come to Jesus. They turn away from uh, their superstitions. They turn away from religion, trying to earn their way to God. They turn to Jesus. Listen, God still does miracles today. God still heals people, sickness, disease, and pain and death. There's still realities. You know, none of us are getting out of this life uh, alive um, unless the Lord returns, unless Jesus returns. Everybody who's living today and the and the you know, the vast majority of them, even Christians, will probably die as the result of some physical 
uh, problem, some sickness, some injury. So it's not always God's will to heal us physically, uh, but ultimately uh, our full will all be healed physically if we trust in Jesus because that's what he does in heaven. He's going to fully complete his work. There will be no more pain, no more sickness, no more disease, no more death, no more suffering. And so, you know, we get real concerned with this brief amount of life that we have with our physical condition in this world. And we're not super concerned about our physical condition for eternity, even though that's already set and secure. And if we will live trusting God today, knowing that he is sustaining us, he He knows best, he's working in our lives, then uh, we can uh, do what God wants us to do today. So Revelation 21, 4 describes the true healing that we should all be longing for. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. And here's what I don't want you to forget. I want you to remember that the ultimate healing for followers of Jesus is resurrection, that that he promises that he has life for us that goes on forever. And you can trust in that. What I want to do is I want to pray for all those who are listening. I want to pray for your healing, whatever you're facing, and that God's will is done and that God's glory is shown through your life. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for each person who's listening. God, I pray for those who are experiencing uh, sickness, who are experiencing health issues, right now. God, I pray that you work in each situation, that your spirit invades each each life, each home, each situation, God, to bring your good and and your glory. And uh, we're trusting you for this. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that you're good. And we're praying in faith. God, I pray that every single person who needs healing today receives that healing that comes from Jesus. And we thank you. We can trust you to do that. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Hope you have a great week, and I look forward to seeing you really soon. Thank you for joining us for this week's Connect podcast. If you liked what you heard, then be sure to like, share, comment, subscribe, rate. We want to spread this good word to everybody we can who needs to hear this message. I hope you have a great week and I look forward to you joining us next week for the Connect podcast. Connect.